Welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing, a weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, Luke and I will take an in-depth look at trending tech and investment innovations. Electric vehicles, cryptocurrency, the metaverse, nothing is off limits in this new innovative podcast. We go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcasts. So make sure to hit subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as it goes up. If you're finding us for the first time, I'm Aaron Davis educator and lifelong learner, looking to pick the brain of one of the smartest investment analysts I know, Luke Lango. Luke, how are you doing today? Well, Aaron, every time we talk, man, it's a bloodbath on, on the street. And uh, that's exactly what we got today. So a good day is not defined by an up market, but bad markets certainly uh, make it tough to have a good day. It's definitely been what people are calling the the like a cold winter for investments right now. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's all about the Fed. It's um, all about slowing economy. Uh, things are very shaky right now, and we expect volatility to persist for probably the next few months. Um, there's hope that the Fed will calm markets tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, at the, the, the press conference with Jay Powell and the statement after the two-day meeting. We don't think they're really going to calm markets in a meaningful way. We hope they do. We really hope they do. That'd be fantastic. But we don't think they will. Um, and if they don't, you're going to continue to get volatility here for probably the next few months until they, they hike rates in March. So brace for, for impact because it could get choppy. Gotcha. Well, and again, this has been a theme, I think, since we've started this. And we started definitely started this podcast with uh, you know a lot of trending invest in the trends going down. Um, everything's starting to crash. And again, those smaller stocks, those smaller tech stocks, stocks seem to be the one that are taking the bigger hit. Um, before we kind of go into those, though, can you kind of give us a broad look at, you know, what, ca- what causes these dips and rises? I know, you know, we talk about the macro view from inflation, the Fed, but they're, these are trends. There's a reason why they're called trends, right? Yeah, well, what's going on right now, the market reset, the market crash, market correction, whatever you want to call it, has nothing to do with the fundamental trends, as you speak of. It does nothing to do with electric vehicle adoption or people going into the metaverse or uh, the adoption of automation technologies. It has nothing to do with any of that. This has to do with good old school finance 101 fundamentals. And what those fundamentals are is if you take a stock price, the stock price equals the earnings per share of that company multiplied by the price to earnings multiple that investors are willing to pay for those earnings. So EPS times PE equals stock price. That's a very simple way of looking at things and an accurate way of looking at things. What's happening here in 2022 is that the PE multiple, that side of the equation, is moving lower because it has to move lower. The PE multiple is attached to interest rates. When interest rates are super low, alternative investments, uh, fixed income investments, risk-free investments are yielding very low rates. When they're yielding low rates, you're willing to pay up, pay more for stocks, which are going to yield higher rates. They're going to yield higher returns. So the PE multiple is high when interest rates are low. When interest rates move up, the PE multiple has to come down in step with that. Interest rates are going to move higher in 2022. The Fed is projecting three rate hikes. Goldman Sachs is penciled in four rate hikes. Treasury yields are moving higher. Interest rates are going to go up. 
the priced earnings multiple on the stock market is not fully yet priced for that move up in interest rates. So multiples have to come down. So that's one side of the equation, very well known. And that's why you saw a lot of turbulence in stocks in the first two weeks of the year. Now, the crash really accelerated over the last week and a half because there was hope that despite this PE multiple compression, earnings per share in 2022 were going to grow enough to offset the PE multiple come down, right? PE multiple comes down, EPS goes up, stock price can continue to go up if the EPS growth is more and the PE multiple decline. Makes sense. But early results of the Q4 earnings season, they've been great. Don't get me wrong. Everyone's beating. There's good growth. Yeah, earning, earnings are up right now. Yeah, er, earnings are up. But yeah. you have to understand, earnings have to go up enough to offset the PE multiple compression, right? It's not mm-hmm. just like earnings can go up and stocks are going to go up. Earnings have to go up by more than what the PE multiple is coming down. And the early results of earnings season are not very inspiring. They're good, but not great. And good is not enough to offset P multiple compression. You need great. We're not getting great right now. So now people are freaking out. They're like, oh my God, looking at 2022, multiples are going to come down and EPS growth is not going to be enough to offset that. So stocks are going to go lower. So, and so that's how much thing that people are digesting right now. So you're, t- and again, you bring up a point where, you know, you're t- saying that people are freaking out. How much of this, crash quote-unquote is are people freaking out versus the actual reality of the numbers that you're describing uh well the actual reality of the numbers i'm describing is that the market's way overvalued okay uh, if you really talk about where p multiples were back in 2016 17 18 during the last rate hike cycle you're talking 17 times, 18 times forward earnings, maybe 19 times forward earnings. We're at like 21, 22 right now on the S&P 500. So multiples have to come down quite a bit. And EPS growth is not going to be that robust in 2022 because the economy is slowing, right? Consumer demand is going to fall flat in 22. We've talked about this before. We're of the belief that everybody spent a ton of money in 2021. Savings are down. Consumers are not going to spend that much here in 2022. Um, and now the IMF just came out this morning and released their forecast for 2022 global growth. And it is 0.5 percentage points lower than what it was just a few months ago, with the biggest decline happening in the U.S., a 1.2 percentage point drop, I believe it was, uh, from U.S. outlook, GDP growth 2022 versus a few months ago. So the consensus now is that we're starting to see a slowdown in the U.S. economy. This city um, economic surprise index has also decelerated meaningfully. The New York Fed's weekly economic index has also come down and continued to show moderation over the past few weeks and months. So we're starting to see a slowdown in the U.S. economy emerge, which means EPS growth is not going to be that great in 2022. Multiple is going to have to come down. That's not a great outlook for stocks. So if you talk about the reality of the numbers here, we actually think that stocks could fall, the S&P 500 broadly could fall another 10 to 15% based on the pure fundamentals of where the P multiple should be mm-hmm. and where earnings per share may shake out in 2022. So the outlook really fundamentally speaking um, for the entire market is not terribly rosy. Gotcha. Now, a lot, a lot of the reaction to this is going to happen tomorrow. You mentioned it earlier. The mm-hmm. Fed is going to release their notes on Wednesday. We record this on Tuesdays, um, so I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about next week in that regard. But uh, 
you know, what are you looking for from the release of these notes that are going to be coming out tomorrow? Uh, well, you want to see a slightly dovish tone from Powell and company. You want them to not be so dead set on hiking rates to rein in inflation. I think the market, the stock market, at the very least is screaming to them, yo, chill out. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe you, you're shooting behind the duck. Like you should have hiked rates in the middle of 2021 when the economy was red hot and inflation was red hot and accelerating. That's when you should have been hiking rates. But now you're talking about aggressive rate hikes six months late, six months later. And guess what? Inflation pressures are decelerating. The economy is slowing. Companies are saying 2022 is probably going to be a slower year. Consumer demand is waiting. Consumer confidence is low. Why are you hiking rates aggressively into that environment? Mm -hmm. If you overstep here, we're going to get a real slowdown in the back half of 2022. So the market's trying to send a message to the Fed that says, hey, chill out, chill out, chill out. Um, what the market wants to hear is the Fed has heard that message and Powell, it's going to be less about the statement and more about the press conference with Powell. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to see Powell kind of sound this like we're going to continue to listen to the data. Mm-hmm. We're going to you know, let the, the data inform our decisions. We're not dead set on rate on multiple rate hikes this year. Instead, we're going to just continue to monitor the economy and we'll hike rates if necessary. That's what you want to see. Mm-hmm. Will he deliver that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> It's, it's a big wild card. Powell has a history of not wanting to be the bad guy when uh, Trump was calling him the bad guy back mm-hmm. in 2018 to saying the economy is slowing, the economy is slowing, the economy is slowing. And it's all mm-hmm. because of you. You're hiking rates, Mr. Powell, and you shouldn't be hiking rates. Powell stopped being the bad guy and all of a sudden cut rates and uh, the economy really started to fire on all cylinders. So Powell doesn't like to be the bad guy historically. I don't think he's going to step into the role as a villain here. Yeah. But I don't think the market has dropped enough for him and the Fed to start rethinking their course. Back in late 2018, when they reversed course in 2019, the market entered bear market territory. The S&P 500 dropped 20% mm-hmm. on its highs. Right now, it dropped into correction territory yesterday on, on the 1,000-point uh, Dow drop. Yeah, but we're like what I think about eight and a half percent off all time highs. Mm-hmm. Bear market twenty percent, so that's still another eleven and a half point delta there. We still have a lot of room to fall before the Fed starts listening to the market in a way that would alter their their trajectory of for them to become hawkish on it. Uh, for them to become dovish, right now they're hawkish. Want to see them get dovish? So that, that's where I stand. But I think eventually we're going to get to that point. But to get to that point. You know, a lot of bad stuff has to happen. And by bad stuff, earnings have to be weak. Stocks have to go lower. The economy has to slow. The Fed has to start getting all this data. And then they'll adjust policy. And then they'll be dovish. And then we'll be ready for a big rally. Mm -hmm. I think that's still, that's what's going to happen. But we have to get there. And to get there, it's going to be two months of craziness. So like I said, (laughs) at the top of this call, brace for impact. Brace for impact. Okay. All right. Uh, well, shifting gears a little bit, and again, kind of maybe a little bit away from the you know we we've talked about the market going on a downward trend. We talked about you know you know cryptos are in kind of in the same way right now. Um, yet there still seems to be this conversation about you know other sectors that are seem to be on the tip of everybody's tongue. And again, we've talked about it before, but uh, the metaverse is one of those uh, mm-hmm. topics that you know 
what does the state of that look like right now, um, especially within the crypto sector? Because again, I know we talked about before, we have the idea of gamification, and that does seem to be the targeted uh, way that the metaverse is playing right now. It, it's, you have these uh, cryptos that are tied to these online metaverse games. Are there different layers to this moving forward, or is gamification going to be you know, this short to long-term trend that we're going to see with the metaverse? Well, let me be abundantly clear and just say that the fundamental adoption trends underlying emerging technologies, everything from the metaverse to electric vehicles to autonomous driving uh, to automation, um, those trends remain exceptionally robust, favorable, and strong. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing has changed about that over the past two, three, four, five years, or two, three, four, five months. Nothing's changed. All that's changed is what we just talked about. More finance 101, resetting yep. the situation, talking about blah, 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 blah. Um, with respect to the metaverse, we continue to believe metaverse is going to be a big year. Uh, we're going to have a big year in 2022. And as far as gamification of the metaverse is concerned, it, Everybody, again, is really focused in on the gaming aspect of it. But the metaverse, I mean, you're looking at one tree in the forest. Mm -hmm. The forest here is productivity. The forest here is, is digital factories. The forest here is um, metaverse shopping, augmented reality shopping. The forest here is metaverse advertising, augmented reality advertising. That's the four, metaverse dating. This is the forest that we're talking about. So to focus in on the gaming niche, I think, is misses the big picture. And there will be big winners in the gaming niche, but you have to zoom out and look at all the other things that are happening. Um, and that's where the big opportunities are going to be in the metaverse over the next five to 10 years. So what examples are you seeing in that in those sectors then? Because again, and the way that I'm being presented with the metaverse from my day-to-day -day interactions is again, you hear about, you know, uh, the sandbox, Axie Infinity, Mana, those are the coins that people seem to be talking yeah, about. So you, so you hear about those. Yeah. But do you have any interaction with Decentraland on a daily basis? Like, are you playing in Decentraland right now? No, I'm not. I, I, I'm not right now. No. Have I'm you not. ever used Engine or Axie nope. Infinity? I have not. No. So you hear about those, yeah, on a day-to-day -day basis, but you're not using those on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. Disconnect. Not okay. a good disconnect. What are you actually using on a day-to-day? -day? You ever shop for a home? Yes. Yeah. Redfin. Go to Redfin, mm -hmm. and if you click on a home, a lot of them have virtual reality tours. Mm -hmm. So you can click on it, and it's like a step-by-step. -step. You like click you know, on your phone, you click, and you go through the home, and you see all the different rooms. It's like virtually touring the home. That image capture is made by a company called Matterport. Mm -hmm. Matterport is a company that is bringing the metaverse to you in the real world so that you are interacting with it on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. What they basically do is they set up cameras around a room or around an area or around a location, capture images of that location, create a 3D model of that location, and then allow you from any digital device, whether it be a computer or a phone or whatever it may be, to then virtually tour or see that location. So that is a metaverse application that is happening right now. Redfin's using it for, for real estate so that prospective home buyers can virtually tour homes. 
Other uh, big apartment companies are using it to lease out apartments. Mm -hmm. This is happening in a real in the real world today. And that's a very high value add application. Zoom out long term, what's happening five to 10 years with Matterport. Matterport is going to be building an entirely new world, a virtual world. Mm -hmm. All it does is virtualize the physical space. Now, why is that valuable? Well, it's valuable for multiple reasons. Again, as we said in our last call, one thing I'm super excited about is being able to go into this virtual world from my home in San Diego, California, and virtually tour and see a real-life replica of the pyramids in Egypt mm -hmm. or a Colosseum in, in, in Rome or whatever it may be, being able to do those things. Another big value-add application is imagine you're running a hospital and mm -hmm. you can now virtualize this hospital. You can see all the rooms, where the patients are, you know, what, what the, um, the metrics are on your certain equipment because you can apply sensors to these equipment now and you can virtually manage the operations without having to physically go room to room and see what the heck is going on. So there's a lot of high value-add applications with what Matterport's doing. It's stuff like that that we're super excited about long term. Whereas the Decentraland, Sandbox, Roblox stuff, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited about it. But there's so much hype there. It doesn't feel like that's the real big opportunity. So, so why is, again, just to take it back again to my earlier question, why is that hype what we're hearing about in the metaverse versus, again, a company like Redfin that's using this technology that's going to be what you're saying, the, the foundation for a true metaverse experience why is why are we hearing more about those gamification coins and those then and not the technology that you're talking about because I mean, we're talking about it but it's, it's less sexy here and that's what it is it's okay just less sexy. i mean it's sexy to be able to build your avatar and go into nike land and play all these things and that's super cool and it's going to be awesome but I think the, the big value add again is in, in industrial applications and commercial applications, which you and I uh, won't really see all that much. Like at scale, those metaverse applications that, you know, Boeing's building a digital factory, Honeywell's mm -hmm. digital factory, guess building digital factories. We're not going to see that. We're not going to realize the benefits of that as consumers. We may get cheaper products and better services, mm -hmm. but we're not going to be hands-on optimizing operations on the back end. So maybe that's part of the reason why it's going on. And the other reason, like I said, is it's less sexy. But again, if you're really trying to think about investing in technologies, what you have to understand is that technologies go through cycles. Mm -hmm. um, you have the tech trigger, which is when it's like this early technology. Mm -hmm. And then people are talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. Then you have the peak of inflated expectations, which is mm -hmm. the point at which everybody's super excited about it. And it's the future. It's the next best thing. Oh, my God, let's put billions of dollars into it. Let's go crazy for it. And then all of a sudden, there's 0% chance you can live up to those expectations. So then you get this decline into the trial of disillusionment is what it's called. <laughs> when people are like, oh my God, we were all wrong. Metaverse is not going to be a thing. Decentraland is not going to be a thing. Roblox is not going to be a thing. Oh God, this sucks. And then you hit this point where it's like, wait, they are going to be things, but we just overhyped them in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they're still going to have value add and still be great and still be wonderful. And then you get that kind of secular long-term growth into perpetuity. Mm -hmm. so right now, I would say that industrial applications and commercial applications of the metaverse are kind of in this tech trigger point. Mm -hmm. Whereas the actual gaming of the metaverse may be near or at the inflated expectations. Mm -hmm. Meaning that what comes next could be a resetting of those expectations, at which point you're going to 
uh, get some massively amazing buying opportunities for this secular growth trajectory. Because the time you want to buy things are either at the tech trigger mm -hmm. or at the trial of disillusionment. Okay. Buying inflated expectations works only if you have a five to 10 year window, which you should, mm -hmm. but you're going to have to weather some near-term pain. And that's what we're seeing in the stock market, as we're seeing in the crypto markets, we're seeing that right now. We're kind of coming off this peak of inflated expectations with a lot of technologies, hitting this trial of disillusionment. Everybody questioning whether or not they are the future. They are the future, rest mm -hmm. assured. Great time to buy for this secular growth trajectory that's more stable, less volatile over the next five to 10 years. So, hmm. Well, speaking of future technologies, uh, and again, probably a, a, one of the foundations of what the metaverse will be existing on, uh, you know, Web3. Uh, it's, you know, when we talk about the internet as, as it exists now, uh, we have a few iterations. We have, you know, Web1, which was basically just the, the beginnings of the internet where you could go to a page and you could consume information and that was about it. We talk about Web 2.0 and it's the kind of a little bit as we know it today, the in introduction of social media, the introduction of interacting with each other, being able to change information. Um, and now we have this, this thing called Web 3. Uh, I'm a little bit familiar with it, but I would like to hear your take on it first before I give my two cents. Uh, you know, what do you see Web3 as as we begin this hypothetical transition from Web2 to Web3? Yeah, so I mean, Web3 is just like the decentralized web. Um, a lot of people think of it as building the internet on top of uh, blockchain platforms, whether that be layer ones like Cardano, Ethereum, or whether that be like decentralized cloud compute, um, or even something as simple as like what DigitalOcean is doing, which is creating cloud compute for smaller businesses and kind of decentralizing the Amazon Web Service model, democratizing that rather. So there's a lot of ways to look at Web3. Is it the future? Yes. Is it being overhyped? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> why, why is it being overhyped? Well, because it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. The value creation is real, mm -hmm. but the valuations of web three type things already price in a lot of that value creation. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like the 5g thing. 5g was this massive thing in 2017, 2018. It was like, it's going to be huge. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be world changing and it will be without a doubt. But the real value creation wasn't in AT&T and Verizon and the telcos that were building 5g networks, terrible mm -hmm. investments. The real value creation is in buying companies that are creating applications and services enabled by enhanced 5G connectivity, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to build, you don't want to buy the infrastructure companies that are just basically overhauling their existing infrastructure because there's no new creation there. It's just getting rid of old and putting in new. And they were the owners of the old and now they're the owners of the new. So the net change for them is not significant. The, rather, the big value creation happens when you have new companies come in and build on top of 5G. Mm -hmm. You have new companies that came in and build on top of 4G. So the real opportunity in Web3 is more so along the lines of the applications that can be built on top of Web3. And that's decentralized apps. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you get things like, well, there's a lot of, lot of options out there. I don't really want to go name dropping a bunch of them. But just look at decentralized applications made possible by Web3. And that's where you'll probably have the biggest opportunities over the next five to 10 years to make some serious money by buying those dApps. So what does the adoption of those kinds of a decentralized internet look like? Because again, I mean, I've used 
the same social media that everybody else uses, which is owned by, you know, the same big company. But the idea of, you know, shifting from something that is so ingrained in our daily lives and, and not only ingrained, but familiar, what does that shift look like to a decentralized social media platform? Yeah, well, that, that shift will be slow. Okay. Shift will be tough. Because mm-hmm. as you said, um, well, I guess not everyone's on Facebook. I'm still on Facebook. <laughs> not everyone's still on Facebook. But Instagram, TikTok, mm-hmm. Snapchat, Pinterest, Twitter, yep. I do. Those aren't Web3. Those aren't apps. Um, mm-hmm. Yet everybody's using them. They're growing and they're probably going to keep growing. Realistically, what's going to happen is those companies need to somehow figure out how to build their, applic- their applications on top of Web3 infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's that. So really we're not, it's not like we're going to go from Facebook to a blockchain Facebook mm-hmm. or from Spotify to a blockchain Spotify. Some people will, mm-hmm. and there are opportunities to create wealth there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the majority of people, 90% plus of consumers are going to stick with their Spotify accounts, going to stick with their Facebook, Instagram, whatever accounts, mm-hmm. going to stick with their snap, going to stick with all that stuff. And those companies then are just going to architect a way to build their applications on top of web three infrastructure. So that's why we think maybe there's a bit of overhyping here. Mm-hmm. It's not like this down with the old and with the new. It's just the old is going to adjust to the new. And from a consumer facing perspective, you're not really going to notice much of a, much of a difference. The adoption is going to have to happen on the back end. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think you're definitely in the mindset of somewhere in between this, you know, Web3 is the next big thing. And people who are saying that, you know, it's not going to be a thing at all. You know, what? why do you think people... I mean, Elon Musk had that quote about Web3. It's not going to be a thing. Yep. Why is it, is it just, you know, is that just business for him, business as usual to try to, you know, maintain that sense of centralized internet versus, or is it just, he just doesn't have that vision for what Web3 is? If you're asking me to explain what's going on in Elon Musk's head, I cannot do that. <laughs> Elon Musk has plenty of opinions on plenty of things. <laughs> individual than me and i cannot dissect each one of those things i think that well for people who don't who who don't think that web3 is going to be the next iteration what would you say to those people uh well i mean decentralization is is a movement that is very powerful and it's not in the sense that you know down with the the centralized government it's more in the sense of like let's just create things that are cheaper that Mm -hmm. are faster that are freer that are fairer like, let's create those things because that's what decentralization allows. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that people are going to move. And in the long run, if you look at, you know, the course of human history, products and services that make things cheaper, faster, freer, and fairer for humans always win out. Always. Regardless of if they're decentralized, centralized, la-di-da-la-di, la-di-da-di, this mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Do those four things and you're going to win. A lot of decentralized applications, a lot of decentralized infrastructure, a lot of that stuff really hammers in those four value props of being cheaper, being fair, being faster, being freer. And if they do that successfully and continue to execute in the way that we believe they can, then that's, that's the way the, the world shifts. So I don't think that you can write it off as some hocus pocus, but I also mm-hmm. think float up is the next big thing because the reality is the big techs of the world have tens of billions of dollars, the smartest engineers and the best talent pipelines to go ahead and adapt their infrastructures to Web3. Um, and mm-hmm. when they do that, it's going to be tough for others to compete. So one of one of the uh, biggest examples of decentralization right now, obviously, and a way that seemed, uh, 
a sector that's not really taking a big hit right now is definitely NFTs. Um, but I think one of the things that people are wondering, and maybe you can kind of clarify that, is how does somebody actually make money in the NFT space? Because you're hearing these big numbers being thrown around of people going to these auctions and spending exorbitant amounts of money on a, uh, you know, as we've talked about how NFTs work before, they're, they're, they're getting the token that says that they own it and they, and it's again, non-fungible, but where is, where does somebody who is just getting into investing, who's interested in the NFT space, is there money to be made there for, you know, your retail investor, or is it just these people who are, you know, buying and selling these NFTs, these expensive NFTs? Well, let's be clear. The NFT space is still hot, but NFT-related cryptos have struggled. So there's mm -hmm. a distinction there. Okay. And the NFT space remains hot because it's new, it's sexy, it's cool, and mm -hmm. you can do really awesome things. And we think NFTs have an enormous opportunity. But again, right now, actually Gartner every year does this, this um, that cycle that I talked about, the hype cycle of emerging yep. technologies. Mm -hmm trigger peak of inflated expectation is child disillusionment yep their 2021 uh hype cycle which came out in the back half of last year mm -hmm. had nfts right at the tippy top of peak of inflated expectations so they're about um, to hit that trial of disillusionment <laughs> well we we think so i mean we really think that what's going on here is the way you describe nfts is very similar to how folks talked about like dot-com companies back in the late 90s it's like mm -hmm. they're buying dot-com domain and they're making a bunch of money and i don't really know how they're making a bunch of money but i want to get in on it let me buy a dot-com domain and let me buy everything that's related to a dot-com domain mm -hmm. and that's how you get this like fomo into mm -hmm. a bubble into a bursting that's mm -hmm. not to say obviously back in 99 if you said dot-com was the future you were 100 right look at mm -hmm. now everything dot-com mm -hmm. but <laughs> between 99 and 2022 you had a boom a bust and then the secular growth mm -hmm. so we think right now the nfts were in the boom phase which mm -hmm. means what comes next inevitably is a bust into the secular growth mm -hmm. so you have to prepare yourself that with such hype comes a lot of volatility and this thing is not going to be a straight line up it's going to be a straight it's going to be a straight line up for two or three years and then a straight line down for a year or two and then it's going to have its secular growth phase. So with NFTs, can you make money in it today? Absolutely. I think a lot of people are making, obviously a lot of people mm. are making money. I think it's a great thing to do. I think it's something that people could dabble in. You can go to wax, you can create NFTs, you can sell mm -hmm. NFTs, you can make money that way. I think it's fantastic. Continue to do that. I think buying and accumulating NFTs is a great long-term strategy, but don't get in the game mm -hmm. thinking you're going to be a millionaire in 12 months. Mm -hmm. Because the million, the making a millionaire in 12 months thing already happened. Okay. Right. That happened in 2021. People who were really smart and got in NFTs in late 2020, started making them in 2021, sold them out 2021 and saw the market just absolutely soar. Those people made millions. Congratulations. If you want mm -hmm. to replicate their, their success, you're not going to do that here in 2022. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be very difficult to build on that and make more, become a millionaire in 12 months by doing mm -hmm. NFTs in 2022 because, you know, the crowd's caught on. People are, are getting here. And now with the hype exceeding what is reality, mm -hmm. that's when you get a, a corrective um, action in, in the market. Um, but so, having said that, again, if you're in this game for the long term, you're in the right space and that's where you need to be to make money. So then, so then what does this secular growth of NFTs look like? 
the the sector that grow the physical assets. Um, okay. Anything that has value in the physical world, any mm-hmm. asset that has value in the physical world, will have value in the digital world as well, or a digital version of that. Because what the NFT market allows, what the blockchain architecture allows is basically a receipt attached, it's a yep. digital ledger, but a receipt more or less attached with each thing made in the digital world to verify its authenticity, its originality, its maker, its previous ownership, everything about that thing from when it was it's created from its inception. So when you think about that, why? what's the difference between Mona Lisa in the Louvre in Paris and a mm-hmm. Mona Lisa knockoff at Home Goods? Mm-hmm difference is that one was actually painted by Leonardo da Vinci and the other was made in some god knows where so it was made. Well, so going on that trend where with the physical will we see again like nft posters of a high of a high value nft so people's a thousand people a thousand days uh which sold for 69 million dollars will we see nfts of like the poster version of that where i can own this where i have the same thing as you know my own nft but in the blockchain it says this isn't the original this is the you know one of one million versions of this the same way you could buy like a poster at walmart yeah i mean exactly the okay think of the physical world yep think of all the assets you own in the physical world mm-hmm. think of what makes them valuable yep make it all digital So the opportunities here are absolutely enormous, obviously. Um, But how big is the market, the real market, real world market, Mm -hmm. for multi-million dollar paintings? Mm -hmm. Pretty niche. Mm -hmm. It's not huge. The market for everyday goods is enormous. Mm-hmm. And so we think that NFTs, um, right now, all the hypes around these multi-million dollar sales and all that, uh, but that's kind of a lot of jazz that we think uh, will fade and the secular growth will be defined more by the digitization of usable assets, the digitization of things that you can actually use in the real in the digital world uh, mm-hmm. to make life easier for... Uh, that was my next question, because again, there are when you talk about a physical product in the physical world... Normally, that's going to be something that's going to benefit your day-to-day life, whether you have, you're buying a blender for, in your kitchen, so it makes, you know, blending your smoothies easier, or, you know, you have an iPhone, which, you know, is your day-to-day, your daily driver for all aspects of your life. What is the value in an NFT equated to the value that physical objects have in the real world? Um, well, yeah. So, I mean, if you just think about the digital world, it's going to digitize all your physical operations. So maybe mm-hmm. you're up there and you're playing a game in the metaverse and there's a special sword or a special gun or a special package or armor okay. to help your character uh, level up or dominate the game, whatever the heck it may be. Uh, you're you're going to be willing to pay for that. People are willing to pay for that. Yeah. Right? Loot boxes or in-game transactions mm-hmm. have been huge in the Activision Take-Two EA world for several years now. NFTs are just going to augment that because they're going to add originality to a lot of those things. So this is the original sort of zippy bibi bra. That's kind of how one aspect of that. Another aspect, maybe let's say we actually do go into the digital world and we start living significant portions of our lives there. Uh, we have homes there. We have cars there. We have um, clothing in that world. 
All those things are going to cost money. Each one of those is going to be an NFT of sorts. Nike will sell NFT shoes, NFT shirts, NFT whatever it may be. Um, the Lamborghini will sell NFT Lamborghinis or NFT Lamborghini uh, apparel. Um, you could have NFT homes, real estate, stuff like that. So I think that there is a bunch of ways you can do this. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of who's going to be innovative enough to create these things and sell these things and who's going to buy them and uh, when is the market going to come into existence. But we think that it's an, it's an inevitability and mm-hmm. that's the way people are going to be using things. That's what the secular growth trajectory uh, looks like post this boom and bust. Gotcha. Well, last last thing I want to touch on, uh, again, uh, is circle back to the crypto market. Um, you know, it's obviously similar to the the other exchanges. It's hit a pretty big dip. Um, are there things that we should be looking at in this dip as far as ways to potentially, or should we be buying the dip? Should we be just holding on to what we have, waiting and see what happens? What's, you know, what are we, what should we be looking at with the dip right now? Uh, as far as the crypto markets are concerned, I would say probably the best way to play it is by, uh, cost averaging into layer ones. I mm-hmm. think what you want to do right now is you want to, it's a flight to quality. We believe 2022 is going to be a year of, we call it the crypto chasm, the division between the haves and the have nots in the crypto world. There's a lot of hype and froth that's going to get destroyed. There's a lot of solid fundamentals. Those things are going to boom. We think there's going to be a big division. You want to be on the right side of that division. What's on the right side of that? Uh, what is on the right side of that division? High quality layer ones, Cardano, Ethereum, Solana. We mm-hmm. think recent crashes and names like that represent very solid buying opportunities. Uh, we're looking at crypto infrastructure plays, Oracle tokens, um, maybe layer two scaling solutions. We think that there are some some good opportunities in those coins that are developing a necessary infrastructure upon which the blockchain economy will be built. That's where you should play defense in this market. That's where there's opportunities. The rest of the market, pretty hit or miss right now. Mm-hmm. You have to find really high quality projects in order to really have faith in them. But um, we think that in the layer one, layer two scaling, that type of world, that, that's a good place to play defense right now. You know, there's a lot of what also a lot of wild theories kind of being bounced around like this is the end of cryptocurrency. And again, I don't think that that's anywhere close to accurate, but there are a lot of theories of why the market's kind of where it is right now. Um, and again, I think that it's safe to say you're very pragmatic. You look at the data, you're looking at the the trends, but do any of these kind of why have you heard any of these crazy theories that are going on right now? And if so, do any of them hold any kind of water? Aaron, enlighten me. I, I mean, I, I read theories all the time, but I'd love to know what you're hearing. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just hearing that, that people think that, the, that this is the end of cryptocurrency. That's the biggest one that I saw earlier today. And again, I don't think that's anything anywhere close. Uh, so, but I, I'm just curious on your thoughts of some of the craziness and I guess the, the, the media and the news cycle when they talk about cryptocurrency. What are, does it just frustrate you sometimes when you hear this stuff? No, because they're coming from a good place. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people get mad at short sellers and market bearers and say, stop being such a sourpuss. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, they come from a good place. They're trying Mm -hmm. to save people from losses. Maybe they don't, they're not as optimistic or as visionary as some other folks, but it's not like they want you to lose money or they want things to go down. They looked at the data too. They came to a conclusion and they're issuing their opinions. And so that's what we do. They just came to a different conclusion. I I doubt Mm -hmm. nothing against those people that, that think it's the end of, cryptocurrencies. Uh, I think they're wrong. 
Um, <laughs> because back in 2001, after the dot-com bubble burst, mm-hmm. there were a bunch of articles in media outlets that were saying that it was the end of the internet. And mm-hmm. the internet was this fad that had just come and gone and bye-bye, sayonara mm-hmm. internet. Uh, obviously, that's completely wrong. <laughs> the rules of life over the next 20 years. Uh, cryptos are going to undergo a similar thing, right? So the mm. fact that you're seeing bears come out of the woodwork and say, end of cryptos, you know, it's it's going to zero type situation uh, here in 2022 makes a lot of sense. History repeats itself. History is repeating itself right now. What that means, I do believe, is that cryptos can be due for some serious near-term weakness. I don't think that mm-hmm. will happen. If it does happen, I wouldn't be surprised at all. The fact of the matter, though, is that you can't be, and this is this is what I really want to emphasize, people, is mm-hmm. people got burned in the dot-com bubble. Yeah. Because you were going in there to buy a stock and get filthy rich in 12 months mm-hmm. or less. Because people were doing that. That was possible. People were buying stocks at five bucks that went to 120 in 12 months. Like, People were becoming millionaires overnight. So the more people were successful with that, the more people jumped into it with that objective. I am buying into this with the objective of becoming filthy rich in 12 months. And when that didn't happen, Mm -hmm. freaked out, they sold and they've said the internet is dead. (laughs) The people who made a bunch of money though, Mm -hmm. were the ones who went into the internet boom, the dot-com boom in the late 90s and said, I'm buying this. Because mm-hmm. I think it's going to generate enormous value over the next 20 years and rewrite mm-hmm. the rules of life. Amazon, Netflix, Google, right? Like those were names that did go on to change the world. Mm-hmm. And the people who bought them, held them, stuck with them, made lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of money. A mm-hmm. lot more of the folks who went in there thinking they were going to become millionaires in 12 months. Mm-hmm. Same things with cryptos. If you're going into the market right now thinking you're going to become a millionaire in 12 months, I think it is highly misguided. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can go into the crypto markets right now with the Fed hiking rates on the horizon, with liquidity leaving the market, with risk appetites plunging, thinking mm-hmm. you're going to become an overnight millionaire by picking some meme coins that are going to go 10,000% in 12 months. Those days are numbered, they're over. But if you come into the crypto markets understanding I'm going to buy a high quality asset, I'm mm-hmm. willing to live with the volatility. I'm willing to take a 50% drop. I'm willing to take mm-hmm. that haircut on the idea that over the next 10 to 15 years, this crypto, this blockchain project, this DAP, whatever it is, mm-hmm. has the opportunity to rewrite the rules of the economy, to restructure the way consumers do things. And in the process, will make me 1,000% plus returns. If that's your objective, then you're going to be very successful in the crypto markets. Mm-hmm. So success here should be defined by the way you come into the markets. You come into it looking for to be an overnight millionaire. You're not going to be successful. You come into it thinking, hey, I can generate generational wealth through compounding, through the powers of compounding gains over the next several years. Then that's how you're going to be successful. And that's the attitude I want people to adopt right now amid this mm-hmm. crash. <laughs> long-term mindset, long-term mm-hmm. mindset, long-term mindset. You gotcha. cannot think short term. Mm. Well, Luke, this has been another amazing conversation as always. Again, I'm sure our listeners have gotten as much out of this as I have. Um, any last words this week before we wrap? Um, 
Not that I can think of, Aaron. I mean, I, I just, people got to brace, you know, got market volatility. It's going to be choppy. Um, <clears throat> what we're witnessing right now across stocks and crypto is mostly stocks. It was a rolling bear market. Uh, the bear market started to show signs actually in 2021, despite 2021 being a blockbuster year for the major indices, the NASDAQ, uh, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones. About, I think I read the stat yesterday, around 40% of stocks are actually down over the past six months because mm-hmm. what was carrying the indices higher in 2021 was large cap strength, but small cap, mid caps were getting destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were struggling throughout 2021. Now what you're seeing is that weakness roll. It's rolling mm-hmm. into everything else. And now the major indices are coming down. This is totally expected. It's a rolling bear market from the riskiest side of the market to the safest side of the market. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep rolling. And I think this doesn't stop until the Fed rips the Band-Aid off, mm-hmm. starts hiking rates, mm-hmm. inflation comes down, mm-hmm. economy slows, Fed switches to dovish. Once all those four things, once those dominoes fall into place, boom, it's green shoots. The market's going to soar. But until then, you're going to have choppiness. Again, mm-hmm. back to what I just said long-term mindset for long-term investors you got to embrace this volatility it, it's great you get it's good yeah <laughs> super high quality assets at super big discounts mm-hmm. you just got to live through a little volatility and what is a 10 20 even a 50 percent drop if you're aiming to make 100 200 300 400 500 percent over the next few years it's mm-hmm. nothing it's something you should embrace and welcome it's just the people that are getting in it for the short-term game that's don't don't be that person because mm-hmm. It, it's not going to be successful in this market right now. You have to be somebody that has a long-term mindset. Those are going to be the successful investors in this market. Gotcha. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to next week to get your reaction from whatever happens tomorrow with the Fed. Mm-hmm. Um, just want to thank everybody for listening. If you have any questions or comments for Luke, please leave them in our comments section. We'd love to hear your feedback on what topics you'd like us to cover and see if we can answer any of your burning questions. Uh, until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe and we will see you next week. Bye all. <laughs>